Welcome to a Crime from Hale podcast. I'm your host, Haley Dameron, and I invite you to join me as I tell you the very real stories of the murdered and the missing. And hey, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to put a disclaimer that this podcast may contain disturbing and triggering topics that is intended for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. The wrong place, at the wrong time? Random, they called it. How does one just randomly murder a young woman in cold blood? And how do they do it without being seen and without ever being caught? Today, I am telling you the story of Jennifer Kathleen Nielsen and her unborn son, Ethan Asden Nielsen. It was the early hours of June 14, 2007, when a newspaper carrier for the News and Observer arrived to deliver papers at the American Food Mart, located in Raleigh, North Carolina, off of Lake Wheeler Road. Though today they noticed something different during their usual stop here at the American. They notice a beige Honda Civic in the parking lot. It's still running, the door is open, and there is a mess of scattered newspapers on the ground. Though, strangely, the driver of the vehicle doesn't seem to be anywhere around. This feels off. No, this feels wrong to the newspaper carrier. So they call it in to the Raleigh police. A Raleigh police officer arrives at the American Food Mart to investigate the suspicious vehicle. It's still dark outside, so he approaches with flashlight in hand and looks around the car. And it's when he shines his light towards the back of the American that he discovers a horrifying scene. It was around 5 a.m. on the Thursday of June 14, 2007, when the officer discovered the lifeless body of a young woman, eight-and-a-half-month pregnant Jennifer Nielsen. Jennifer Nielsen, or as family and friends called her, Jenna, was a 22-year-old wife to Timothy Nielsen and a mother of two boys, three-year-old Skyler and 11-month-old Caden and expecting her third baby boy, Ethan, in just a few short weeks. The family had moved to Fuquay Verena from Utah in August of 2006 for Timothy's job. Jenna really loved the Fuquay Verena area and saw it as a great place to raise her boys. However, money was getting tight for the Nielsen family and Jenna wanted to contribute to their income in some way. Jenna began searching for jobs, but nothing could quite fit into her schedule around her boys. I mean, daycare would have cost them an arm and a leg, so anything during her husband's work hours just wouldn't work. 
It was when her brother Jason, though, tells Jenna that he started working at a local newspaper in Raleigh. It wasn't perfect, but it was decent money. She decided to take a job with USA Daily as a newspaper carrier. It would consist of her stocking the newspaper bins at convenience stores in the early morning hours. And when I say early, I mean early. Jenna would start delivering papers around 3 a.m. in the morning and would be back home in time to see her husband off to work by 5.30 a.m. It had to have been so tiring on her given that she was very much pregnant and also had two young boys to take care of at home, but she truly loved that this opportunity just allowed her to bring in some extra cash while still being able to be a stay-at-home mother. Jenna's family described her as a loving mother, wife, and daughter. She was gifted in the arts, as she was a talented piano player and also loved to sing and dance. Jenna was an outgoing person, and she was always happy and always wanted to see those around her happy as well. She would do just about anything to make the people around her smile. The true love of Jenna's life, though, was her boys. Skylar and Caden were her entire world, and she loved being a mother and loved playing with her boys and being able to stay at home with them. Jenna and her husband were excited for the near future because in just a few short weeks, they were due to have their third baby boy, Ethan, on July 8, 2007. The morning of June 14th was like any other day for Jenna. She got up early to go make her paper deliveries, and she was feeling the pains of being eight months pregnant and even jokingly mentioned to a co-worker that morning that the weight of the papers were bound to send her into labor. And when Jenna did not arrive back home on time, that is exactly what her husband Timothy thought. He made calls to Jenna's parents who lived locally and told them that Jenna had not come home and so they feared she may have gone into labor early and gone to a local hospital. They made calls to local hospitals, but with no luck, Timothy decided to head out to look for his wife. Though as he went to leave, his absolute worst nightmare would come to life when Raleigh police officers pulled into his driveway to deliver the news that his eight-month pregnant wife had been murdered that morning on her paper route. Investigators would spend the next 12 hours at the scene of the crime collecting evidence and looking for any clues that could lead them to the monster that could murder a pregnant woman in cold blood. This was a senseless and brutal crime, and authorities feared that because of how random this murder seemed, that the killer could do this again. Later that same day, a man that was walking about a half mile away from the scene of the crime found a bloody knife. The man panicked upon this discovery and threw the knife over a fence. The man had been a resident of the Healing Place of Wake County, which is a program for homeless substance abuse. 
The man did, however, later go to police with this information, and a woman who worked in a nearby office to the location where the man said he threw this knife helped investigators retrieve this knife that would later be determined to be the murder weapon. Investigators do not believe this man had involvement in Jenna's death, but the question still remained, who was their suspect? The following day, around 1.30 a.m., on Friday, June 15th, a Spanish-speaking man called 911 dispatchers from a payphone near the intersection of South Saunders and West South Streets. On this call, this man gave information regarding Jenna's murder and then quickly hung up. Investigators rushed to the payphone booth, but by the time they arrived, the man was gone. They did take prints off of the payphone and searched for any clues that could lead them to identifying this caller. We do not know what was said on this phone call or if investigators believe this caller was responsible or not for the murder. We have seen, though, before in other cases where the perpetrator likes to take credit for their crimes. For example, the Zodiac Killer would call and report his crimes after committing them. But I can't say for sure, though, that this is the case here without knowing the context of what was said on the phone call. And I would like to acknowledge here that there is a barrier between minority groups and people of color and law enforcement, where they may not feel safe coming forward to authorities with information. So I think there is a strong possibility that this person could have nothing to do with the crime itself but for one reason or another did not feel safe coming forward with the information they had. The medical examiner's autopsy report would determine that Jenna died from a single stab wound to the neck. It was one inch wide and penetrated 3.7 inches into the left side of her neck, hitting her carotid artery and her internal jugular vein. Medical examiners did gather evidence from a rape kit that was performed, but contained no evidence that Jenna had been raped or sexually assaulted. However, Jenna's body was found lying face down with her pants and underwear pulled down, so it is a possibility that this person attempted to rape Jenna, but as she fought back, the perpetrator stabbed and killed her. Jenna also had abrasions on her elbows and knees that could have been caused by being dragged or from a fall. Her unborn baby Ethan was healthy and would have been born just weeks later. 39 items were seized at the scene of the crime and among that evidence included nearly a dozen blood samples, 10 cigarette butts, Jenna's car, a flip-flop, a couple of shirts, and a strand of dark hair found in Jenna's hand. Investigators do believe that this was a random crime and that Jenna likely did not know this person. Investigators did do a search of Jenna's email communication to see if anyone could have potentially wanted to harm her, but they were unable to find anyone she was communicating with that would want to hurt her. 
Investigators were able to put out a sketch of a person witnesses say they saw near American in the early hours of June 14th that they believe could be a person of interest and urged the community to help them identify this man. This man was described to be in his late teens or early 20s, standing 5 foot and 3 inches tall and weighing around 120 pounds. He had black hair that was pulled into a ponytail and had a dark-colored sleeveless shirt and baggy denim shorts on. Raleigh police really felt this case was solvable. Jenna's family felt this case was very solvable, and the entire community felt this perpetrator would be caught quickly. The city of Oaks rallied around Jenna's family, and many volunteers sprung into action to aid in passing out flyers and the sketch of the person of interest in hopes someone had more information. Despite hundreds of tips and countless efforts by investigators, this case remains unsolved. Jenna's family is hopeful they will find justice and the person responsible for taking the life of their beloved daughter, wife, mother, friend, as well as the baby boy they never had a chance to meet. Her family has never given up hope for justice and runs a website where you can find information on Jenna's case. It is justiceforjenna.org. While Jenna's perpetrator is still at large, the family has not let that stop them from pursuing some sliver of justice for her and baby Ethan. Jenna's family pushed for the movement of the Unborn Victims of Violence Act, or otherwise known as Ethan's Law, named after Jenna Nielsen's unborn baby boy. Ethan's Law passed in December of 2011 and would hold perpetrators that harm or kill a pregnant woman to also be held responsible for the death of the unborn child as well. I want to quickly read a letter from Jenna's family posted on the Jenna, Justice for Jenna website. Quote, Jenna and Ethan, it's hard to believe that it has been 13 years since someone selfishly stole you from our family. There isn't a day that goes by that you and Ethan are not in our thoughts. Skylar and Caden are growing so fast. They look like you, act like you, and laugh like you. For that, we are able to see you each and every day through them. Skylar asks about you often and helps Caden remember Mommy. You always brought joy and happiness into our lives. We miss your laughter and especially your bubbly personality. Life will never be the same without you. Please look down upon your boys, watch over them, and take care of them. We love you and will miss you always. End quote. Jenna's family needs the public's help keeping the story of Jenna and Ethan being heard in hopes that someone will come forward with the piece of information investigators need to solve this case once and for all. If you or anyone you know has information at all about Jennifer Nielsen's murder, please call the dedicated tip line for her case at 919-834-4357. 
there is a $15,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person responsible for this crime. Thanks again for listening to A Crime From Hail podcast. If you liked today's episode, please consider supporting me by subscribing and sharing the podcast with your true crime-loving friends. Oh, and if you want to be in the loop on future episodes, chat theories, and request cases you'd like to see covered in the future, head over and follow us on Instagram at A Crime From Hail podcast.